Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So we're in Matthew uh, chapter 5. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 17 today, if you want to go ahead and be turning there. Um, I think it's going to be very important as we go through um, these passages, and not just this week, but in several weeks, to uh, continue to keep in mind uh, the context and the culture that uh, Jesus was in the middle of uh, as he was uh, delivering these messages, because I think the, the full impact is, 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 is best when you keep that in mind. So um, as Dad talked last week, uh, and, and if you didn't listen to, uh, if you weren't here last week, by all means, listen to the, uh, the, the podcast, because um, I think he did a really good job of making the point that uh, Jesus was really going way past the law to get to the heart of what God's intention for all of us was. Um, this particular culture was just hyper-focused on the minutia of what was called the law. Of course, we know that the vast majority of that were things that were added to God's original laws, but that having been said, Jesus moved way past all those externals and was really uh, focusing on the heart. And I think it is good in the sense that verse 16, where Dad left off last week, is a good transition verse for where we're going because it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so, they may, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Is this a contrast between what was going on and with the Pharisees? Well, it is, right? So it says, let your light shine before others. Were the Pharisees interested in showing what they've got to others? Yeah. They were, right? They were very interested in that um, as their pedigree of sorts. Uh, this is what I do and what I don't do, and I think I'm doing pretty good. They were very much about shining their light, with a little L, uh, before others. Um, but they were doing it to prove, with lots of quotes around that word, that they were righteous, that they were good about keeping the law. But Jesus is saying, yes, do good, shine the light, but do it in such a way that God gets the glory. So this is really different. And again, I think really allows us to pivot into where we're heading because as we'll see this, this, this concept of the old view of the law and this new view of the law, it's what, it, it's, what it's all about. Um, and in many ways, that's what all of us are trying to struggle with too, right? I mean, we've got scripture and we're trying to figure out, okay, what should I be doing? How should I be doing it? Why should I be doing it? Who am I doing it for? And although the Pharisees got many of the wrong answers, they were still dealing with some of the same questions. And so you know, kind of that's where we are. And I think you'll see the different audiences that um, Jesus uh, was spoken and, and is still speaking to uh, how they process this is really interesting. Um, 
it can be a little overwhelming as you go through those Beatitudes. And I could tell from Dad's teaching that he was really feeling the weight of all these. And, and how can you not? It can be overwhelming. Um, we have a we have a, a, a great house, uh, but it is 60 plus years old. And when you have a 60 year old house, there is always a project. Uh, there's always a list of projects, uh, many pages long. Um, if I if I just thought about all of them, it would be overwhelming. Really, would not know where to start. And going through those beatitudes can kind of feel like that. Oh, oh my gosh, you know what? Just where do I begin to do all of these things? And this tension of trying to do, which, as we would say to them, bless their hearts, the Pharisees were certainly trying to do. And then there's this tension that we'll see just a few chapters over where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All the things that, you know, this elevation of all the things that we should do and be that we have seen and will continue to see, it can be a weight in a way if we try to think about trying to do all those, especially in our own strength. And I think the the thing that we need to keep in mind is that missing ingredient that what gets us from the try real hard approach of the Pharisees to the my yoke is easy part of Jesus. So what is that missing link? This is like reading the last chapter of the book first, right? It's the gospel, right? It's the gospel. It's that we don't have to work our way to righteousness we accept that righteousness from Jesus and then part of that amazing exchange is we get the Holy Spirit to help us move toward all of these goals and and ideals that Jesus is laying out Uh, how we each make that journey is the the craziness of it all and um, again uh, you know I guess we could stop there and those of you that need to leave can, but that's that, that's it, you know. Somehow God works in us to to over time move us to this better way. But the context here is that Jesus is still in a way in the process of introducing this kingdom of heaven that he was talking about. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's in the process of unrolling what that kingdom of heaven is going to look like. So with that uh, perhaps uh, confusing and rambling uh, introduction, let's look at verse 17. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's a lot, right? Um, I'm sure there are and have been many pastors who could camp out there for uh, a whole series of sermons, but this is a lot. I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. So he was being accused of perhaps doing that, right? And he would, we'll see throughout this gospel, he will continue to be accused of trying to abolish or in some way put down the law. And he's saying, no, not doing that. I'm going to go beyond that. I'm going to go beyond that. Um, the best word I encountered in the commentaries I looked at to think about this is the word transcend. Uh, when you think about what is meant by this word fulfill, uh, and I think transcend is, is a good is a good word to think about as, as we go through this. Jesus is saying, uh, and, and through examples that we're going to look at, I'm going to show you the heart of the law. And to really see that, you just have to look at me. And I don't know. It's... It's tough to think about it. You guys, you guys understand this, uh, I know, perhaps better than I do, but he's come, to, he's come to just do more and to say more and take them deeper, and, and we'll see that. A couple of side comments here. Uh, Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law. These, these little parts of the, of the alphabet. And so for, for those of us that believe that 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 the Bible that we have, the, the written word, that we can believe in and we can put our, our faith in it, that we can have uh, ultimate faith in the very words that are there. If you think about this scripture that Jesus was referring to, his copy of the word, uh, he was saying every little part is important. Every little word is important. Um, and it's authoritative. It's it's trustworthy. So, um, I think for for people who take a very casual approach to uh, the writings of Scripture, uh, this is a verse that says that's not the way Jesus looked at Scripture. Jesus looked at Scripture very seriously and very uh, w with authority, and he didn't try to explain away the parts that you know you you get my drift is. That's a theme that Dad and I come back to over and over. A lot of ways that Jesus um, fulfilled the law. Um, he didn't fight it. He just moved past it. Ultimately, he fulfilled it at the cross, of course. One, um, one writer who used this transcend word put it this way. It says, his teaching is not contradictory to anything in the Hebrew Bible, although it must in some sense transcends it, 
two extremes must be ruled out to say that Jesus came to abolish the law overstates the discontinuity between Jesus and Moses. To say that Jesus came only to reaffirm Moses understates the discontinuity between Jesus and Moses. So he was in agreement with Moses, but moving beyond and past and deeper and more um, than what Moses had to say. Much of the rest of Matthew is going to focus on Jesus explaining God's ultimate vision that was contained in the law to this new people. As I thought about this, I said, this is going to amaze the crowds because they had never heard anyone teach like this or with this authority. This was new, it was exciting. Uh, he was trending, we might say today. He was getting lots of hits, lots of likes. It was going to infuriate the Pharisees who were not only seeing their system being threatened, but they were also at the same time being told that their considerable efforts were not going to make them righteous after all. This was not going to go well. And then again, bless their heart, it was going to really confuse the disciples, right? Because they were hearing over and over these these deep, very meaningful um, messages of Jesus. They were seeing God incarnate, um, but they, they knew they weren't adequate to do what Jesus was calling them to do. Uh, they, they, you know, there were times where they said, well, how can anyone if, this, if what you're saying is true, how can anyone do this? How can anyone become righteous? So, again, quoting um, one of the commentaries, uh, he had to do two things at the same time. This is Jesus. First, he had to show the Jews of his day that his movement really was the fulfillment of all that Israel had believed and longed for. Second, he had to show that he and his followers really were living by and also dying by the new way he was announcing. Some think of Jesus as just a great Jewish teacher without much of a revolution. Others see him as so revolutionary that he left Judaism behind altogether and established quite, something quite new. But this passage shows how he, Jesus held the two together and was offering something revolutionary. I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. Verse 21. Anger. My little subsetting, uh, subheading uh, says. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift 
Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser, accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. This first phrase, you have heard that it was said to those of old. On each of our little settings, um, sections here rather, you're going to see that phrase, you've heard that it was said. You've heard that it was said. You've heard that it was said. So who do you think was doing the same? The teachers, the Pharisees, the rabbis. Much of, you know, it wasn't like everybody had a copy of the Bible on their phone, right? There were a few copies, but much of this was orally handed down, right? You've heard that it was said. You've heard that it was said. I'm sure they had it drilled in their heads when they were really young. You've heard that it was said. So he's definitely referring to the old. Now, he's setting up the contrast, and we'll see that. You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. And then verse 22, we get the same formula. But I say to you, everyone whose anger will be liable to judgment. So, yes, is murder bad? Absolutely. What about anger? Is anger bad? Jesus seems to say so. Seems to say so. Um, emotions are, are crazy things, right? Um, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse. I, I am, if there's this level of emotion on one extreme and this level on the other extreme, I'm, I'm like down here. I'm so even I, I this is a confession not a brag I'm truly probably don't get excited about things enough or worry or get upset enough about things sometimes it's a it's a it's a, a flaw it really is but a lot of that's personality right uh, how we're how we're wired and and what we get excited about uh, there are uh, so anger is, has not been one of my more difficult things. Um, I, I, I won't tell you what my difficult things are, uh, for those of you that might be interested. Um, but, but it wasn't this one. Yes, Gwen. It's true. <laughs> I'm not sure how to follow Gwen sometimes. Let's talk later. In Ephesians, Paul says, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Paul seems to be acknowledging we're going to be angry, but there's an anger that can become sinful, right? There's an anger that can uh, be punishment. There's an anger that can uh, hurt. There's an anger, as Matthew says, that can lead to other things. Uh, keeping check on that is important. First John 3.15 says everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. 
So what's the big deal? Well, with anger, and yes, I do get angry, it's typically, and this is some old teaching dad exposed me to when I was very young, we often get angry when we think our rights are being violated, right? So-and-so shouldn't have said that to me because I think I have the right to be treated with respect or treated fair. Uh, he shouldn't have cut me off in traffic because I have a right to this section of road in front of me. I've planned for it. I've paced myself for it. I was counting on it. And here you came and took my spot. When we think our rights are violated, that's often when we get angry. And of course, it can be a debate about you know, political things and injustice, and uh, you know, there, there can be a place for righteous anger, but most of the time, the bad side of anger is when we think about a right that perhaps we don't have, or we think that we have a greater right than someone else. And I find that when I'm tempted toward anger, I start to think about, okay, do I have a bigger right to be upset with this person than God does with me? I think I have a right to be treated fairly. Was Jesus treated fairly? Have a right to be respected. Did the Romans who beat him and stripped him treat him with respect? I sometimes think I have a right to be understood. Was Stephen really understood when he gave probably one of the most amazing sermons in the history of sermons, but then got stumped for it. Do I get angry if I feel like maybe I have the right to be loved the way I want to be loved? You know, the church is Jesus' bride, and you think Jesus feels love when the church espouses things that are wrong. There have been times when slavery, segregation, and many others have been preached. There have been churches that have looked the other way when their leaders have done things that are obviously sinful. Uh, so, you know, if, if Christ can experience those things, then what right do I have? So um, I think the, the, the big key to dealing with anger is something that we'll see a couple chapters over in Matthew 7. You remember the one where it says, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You know, when I start to think about what somebody else has done to me, it fades when I think of what I've done to God. And it just kind of puts in perspective. So, anger. 
I'm not sure why Jesus led with that, uh, but he did. Verse 27, what does your subheading say? Mine says lust. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say, there's that formula again, but I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. But if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Okay. And again, you know, there's a crowd here. I'm guessing Jesus was a good speaker, right? We have his words here, but there were probably gestures, there was tone in the voice, there was... I've always wondered, being kind of a sound tech guy, what the kind of godly amplification thing was. I kind of always wonder, you know, did he get a little divine help with the project? I, I don't know. That was, I've always wondered that. But, you know, he's putting it out there that lustfulness and adultery are pretty close there. Um, and again, when you're thinking in the context of the Pharisees who had kind of scoped everything out so you knew very clearly what was a sin and what wasn't a sin, and you could kind of dance around the edges and think you were doing okay, this kind of clears all that out. Clears it all out. Um, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery. I think it was Jimmy Carter back in the day that gave an interview, I think it was to Playboy, who basically said, yep, done that. And it was really interesting how people responded to all that, but suffice it to say then we all know that uh, you don't have to go to a certain bookstore to uh, ask to buy a certain magazine to see pornography. It shows up sometimes intrusively even in places where you're not expecting it nowadays. It's so pervasive. But in spite of that, you know, we're still told to guard our hearts. Uh, I came across a, an article by a gal who was writing for Christianity Today and she was referring to an article that was um, talking about some research that was done in the Boston area uh, comparing men who, the description was men who purchased sex versus men who didn't purchase sex. They had such a hard time finding people for the men who don't group that they had to change the definition. So that as long as you didn't see porn more than once a week, or as long as you didn't go to a strip club more than once a year, then you got to qualify for the men who don't category. It was a loose standard, I would think. But that's how hard it was for them to find people for the other side of the group. And this was in 2011. Uh, I don't know if there's any family, and this is certainly not a show of hands situation, that has not been affected by 
a friend, a relative, um, somebody who's had an affair, somebody who's been involved with adultery, you know, somebody who's living with somebody. I mean, we see it all the time. But the key here is that it doesn't start there. I think one of the one of the places I see this best illustrated. Uh, it's been quite a number of years now. Casting Crowns did a song called "Slow Fade." I don't know if you ever heard that. Um, I'm going to quote a little bit of it. it. Says, "Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go, for the little feet behind you that are sure to follow." Thoughts invade, a choice is made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day, it's a slow fade. The journey from your mind to your hands is shorter than your thinking. Be careful if you think you stand, you just might be sinking. That's an excerpt. The point is, this, the title says it all, it's a slow fade. Perhaps there's other examples, but I think the serious cases of adultery never start, oh, I think I'll leave my wife today and go have an affair. It starts way before that. There's lots of other bad decisions that lead up to that. And that's what this is keying on. Uh, Okay, we'll try to wrap this up. Verses 31 through 32 talk about divorce. Uh, Divorce is not something we're going to cover in a few minutes. Um, The teaching of Jesus about divorce is covered in a couple different areas in Matthew. And and so we're actually going to take those passages together. Um, You know, we don't typically do topical study, but sometimes topics come our way. So I think this is definitely a topic that has also probably affected uh, everyone here in one way or another uh, where we probably do need to spend some time looking at all of what the Bible says about divorce um, and it brings in marriage and remarriage and kids and you know it's a it's a a big topic but uh, we may camp out there for a lesson or two when we come to the larger passage about divorce so we can cover verse 33 Again, you've heard it said, there's our formula to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, uh, one of Dad's quotes uh, is that sometimes, and I don't know if it was original, sometimes uh, the Bible sheds a lot of light on the commentaries. Um, So I found commentaries that very eloquently describe why um, this isn't referring to, you know, if you went to court and you say, I swear to tell the whole truth, why that's not wrong. And in 
Deuteronomy, there's a passage that talks about, it says in Deuteronomy 23, 21, if you make a, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it goes on. Uh, it says, but if you refrain from vowing, that's okay too. Um, so it seems like there are part, you know, at least this one verse says uh, it's okay to make a vow, but, but oh yeah, you better keep it because it's to God and he's going to require it of you and to not fulfill that vow is sinful. All right. But it's hard for me in this one particular passage where Jesus says, um, do not take an oath at all. It's hard to see a lot of wiggle room there. Um, you know, I think I've, I uh, attest, maybe that's a, a, a milder word, I attest to things all the time. I get forms daily where I'm attesting to, to uh, someone's health or under penalty of Medicare fraud that I'm, you know, not going to prescribe somebody's walker inappropriately or, you know, something like that. So I think the, again, the big context here is thinking about the Pharisees. Apparently there were definitely grades of truth back then that if you swore by Jerusalem, it might mean a little bit more than if you swore by, say, Nazareth or a little bit less than if you swore by um, Moses, or there were, there were these grades, and, and as a result, you never quite knew where you stood. Um, here was the way it was explained, and this seems to make sense, and we'll close. It says, the Pharisees, in contrast to Jesus' insistence upon straightforward truthfulness, had expanded oaths to matters of technicalities, much like our own American legal system that often twists and turns the normal meaning of words. I'm not sure what decade this was written. Uh, legal technicalities can devolve to the point of destroying the justice they are supposed to serve. You know, we see this in the NFL. You know, what really is pass interference anyway? <laughs> and what is holding? Oh my gosh. The pharisaical system of oaths was expanded to cover all kinds of promises made to one another. Oaths by heaven were, more cons were considered more binding than oaths on the earth. Like children crossing their fingers behind their backs, the Pharisees camouflaged reality in elaborate technicalities. I think that the, that's a good way to remember. That the Pharisees were basically saying, yes. I'm crossing my fingers as I swear by whatever, and it meant nothing. All right, we're going to pause there. Are you getting the idea? Are you feeling the weight of it a little bit? Um, thankfully, the latter part of Matthew's takes the weight off of us, but um, but it's a lot. It's a lot, and. Um, uh, I think as we all as we all struggle to um, to be where Jesus wants us to be, um, it's it's okay to come back to these and 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 to see what God's ultimate intention for us is. Uh, any final comments? We'll close. All right, Father, we do thank you for your words. Uh, we thank you that uh, you do give us grace 
that you do give us mercy and um, we ask that you help us to um, at least be enlightened Pharisees <laughs> as we try to deal with some of this uh, but Father that truthfully that you make us more than that that you help us understand uh, where you want us to be we do want to be the light that can shine we do want to be the salt that you want us to be uh, we do want to be able to speak truthfully and keep our anger in check and and to not give a foothold to lustful images that come our way by your holy spirit we pray that you would strengthen us in that regard continue to uh, teach us as we go through these passages and we thank you for your son in his name i pray amen thanks everybody